This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. The media is a difficult place to penetrate. I mean, everybody wants to be a media star and so few actually make it. Our next guest, Jamie Geller, not only achieved success as a media personality, but she did it in a subject matter in which she had no experience. Food personality Jamie Geller began her life and her marriage not knowing how to burn toast. And through a little bit of creativity, a little bit of ingenuity, and a lot of hard work, she managed to become a food personality in this world. And you're going to want to hear how she did it. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. We've got an amazing guest here today. We've got Jamie Geller. She's on the show with us today. Jamie Geller is one of the most sought-after Jewish personalities, Jewish food personalities worldwide. She is an amazing individual. She is known as the Queen of Kosher. She is known as the Jewish Rachel Ray. She is the founder and chief creative officer of the Kosher Media Network, a publisher of the award-winning Joy of Kosher with Jamie Geller magazine and joyofkosher.com. She's been on the Today Show ABC, CBS, NBC, Martha Stewart. She's been featured in Forbes, Family Circle, Cosmopolitan, Chicago Tribune, and so much more. She really is a personality um, that has really brought food and cooking and all that world that I don't know much about we're going to talk about to the world. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, Charlie, it's my pleasure. It's such an honor to be here. I was so happy uh, when you asked, and I just um, excited to get going and talking to you. Amazing. And I love your story. I love what you're doing. I love the what you're bringing to the world. And what I want to do right away is, you know, I see all the stuff that you're doing, the magazine, the books, the, the I see you on TV, I see you on the radio, I see you leading. I, know, I even know that last night you mentioned him beforehand, last night you had a 2,500-person event, which you're speaking for, and people really thank God, are connecting to you in what you're saying. And when I look at someone, when I hear someone like you, when I see you on you know, the Today Show cooking with the ladies and doing what you're doing, it feels very much like you were sort of born into it. Like someone sort of handed it to you and like, you know, thank God it worked out that you were just this, you know, young media personality that sort of just sort of emerged on the market. And what I want to do is for the listeners today, because the media world really is a very daunting, scary world. You know, we sort of figure out how to be a doctor, you go to medical school and you and then a lawyer and then an accountant and a business. But when when did you get to the world of media, it's like who, how, when And people sort of assume that it's like the haves and the have-nots, and they forget that people come from someplace. So what I love about your story, and I want you to sort of, if you can, take us down, is your first book. Because I'm looking here, and I see that your first book is The Bride Who Knew Nothing, which means that you probably started your life not knowing how to cook. Is that true? Well, I started my life like everyone else. You don't know anything until you do it. And I always say the best way to learn is to learn on the job. So yeah, I got married when it comes with regard to cooking, and I learned on the job. So you're married, and so it was like your first week, and you're like, "Okay, honey, here's your first, you know, first meal," and it's like macaroni. Oh, if only. 
I was married <laughs> and my husband was like, what's for dinner? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. Like, <laughs> you know, it would have been good if I would have served some macaroni. You would have been happy. So, yeah. So w- at this point, where are you? What are you working as? What's your career? Where are you at, at marriage at this point? Right. So actually, my background is as a TV producer. I mm-hmm. worked for CNN for a show called Showbiz Today. Uh, now the show is called Showbiz Tonight, but it's their version of entertainment uh like Entertainment Tonight or Access Hollywood. It's their ver- uh, their version of Entertainment News, and they cover Entertainment News uh, both domestically and internationally. So I was mm-hmm. a producer for them, and then I moved over to HBO, and I worked on shows like The Sopranos and Sex and the City and Mind of the Married Man and the Madonna uh, concert and Janet Jackson's concert and oh, wow. all the HBO boxing matches. And I was working... 18, 20, 22 hours a day, you know, on set, backstage, behind the scenes. And I never needed the kitchen. I lived in Manhattan. I was a single girl. If you needed like a stick of gum delivered to you, they would deliver to you on set or to your apartment. I used my oven for storage. And then I get married <laughs> and my husband's like, okay. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, let's do this together because I need directions to the kitchen. Wow, wow. So what happened? So you're so I, I get it. you're living this great life and you're fast paced and I totally get that concept. I mean, I still really don't know how to cook and I can only imagine that like, okay, if food will either appear magically yeah. by someone in my family or magically by someone at my door. But that's sort of how food is made, right? Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. Craft services, like delivery, like yeah. I mean and in the T V world, by the way, I always say if they could go to the bathroom for you, they would. It's like whatever you need to do, <laughs> just stay on set and work like 24-7, all your needs are taken care of. Just like keep doing the work. So yeah, it just like magic food appeared. It was never, you know, by my own hands. So so nowhere in your mind, in your, in, in your consciousness, is there a concept that you would either not only be a personality connected to food, even actually create food within your two hands. And you get married and then you start. So tell me the moment, if you can, where you start to shift from... I'm not going near the kitchen. I don't want to. I, I don't know how it works. That's not my life. And not, nothing wrong. That's not my life. That's not, what, that's not what I'm here for. To hey, I like this or I should like this. Where does that begin to transition for you? Well, if I could back up just a little bit, just to say, know where my consciousness was. It you know, like thought that I would actually be the one preparing food. I wasn't raised for this. Okay, my parents are immigrants to this country, and their dream for me was to be the first. Jewish woman president of the United States. Okay. (laughs) I was supposed to have a personal chef, not be one. So it's like, it was like not in my DNA whatsoever. And to even go a step further, my mother, it was a very privileged upbringing. My father was very successful and my mother built a very large house when I was about 10 years old. And she actually wanted to build the house without a kitchen. I'm not even joking. (laughs) And then when everyone told her, okay, that's a bad idea. So she said, so I'll put it off to the side of the house by the garage so I never have to walk through it. So it's like I just wasn't raised for this. So that's how far. It's not like, oh, I was like a sad case and like, you know, I could only burn toast. It was like, like I was not born, raised or trained, not in my DNA, not in my education, not in anything to like even get into this industry of a homemaker. Right. It's not in your nature. I love what you said that a second ago because this is so good. It's not in your nature or your nurture. Totally. Like there's no part of you no. that has cooking in your. Okay, so 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 continue. It's a tremendous like um, study on like nature versus nurture, and really, I have to say, I hope that the point comes across after we talk for a little while. It's really not about cooking. It's about 
about overcoming what you feel like you can't do, what you mm-hmm. feel like is against your nature, what you feel like you'll never be successful at. And that's like what I am. I happen to fall into cooking, um, like I said, because my husband's hungry and we'll go through the steps. But really, I'm here as a testament to like everything I thought I would never do, could never do, I'm now doing. So like yeah. never say never is the number one thing. Yeah, I love that. And that's what I love so much when I when I see you and I see what you're doing. And and I love to sort of take the road with you now, but definitely to sort of hone the point in for the listeners that this your story exactly is not just a subject specific story of how you grow in the this specific niche area of entertainment. Your story is how do you grow? How do you dream? How do you stop letting the world give you the cards and then spend your life kvetching about the cards you get and start to sort of take whatever you have and whatever you need and push it towards where I, I think beyond what is even possible. I can't even imagine that you would ever have ever dreamed when that first time you tried to cook would bring you to where you are now, which is not a hundred years. There's, 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 a, there's a period of growth, but your growth and your popularity, thank God, I, I would assume, even surprises you. It does. Every single day, my husband and I are laughing. My mother is still, like, beside herself. So imagine, like, <laughs> where I came from and that, like, I'm, like, cooking with, like, Kathy Lee, like, in Hoda. You know, it's, like, the craziest thing ever. And so it's really a blessing. Um, it's a blessing. But you said, like you said, wasn't handed on a silver platter. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work and it can be applied to any, like you said, specific subject or aspect of your life. It really is all about growth. So tell us how it started. What was that first moment, if you can? Everyone has that moment where they say, not only can I do this, but I can bring this to the world. So what was that moment for you where you said, okay, I can figure out how to cook a little bit, but there's something about this whole cooking thing that I want to take to the next level. Sure, sure. Well, it's a dream, and I'm a big dreamer, big, big dreamer. And I always think that I have the big dream, and then the dream just keeps getting bigger. So basically what happened is we were married, and I I was pregnant with my first baby, and I went on maternity leave from HBO, and they offered me the moon to come back. They offered me a four-day work week because I had moved from Manhattan out to a suburb. So my commute was much longer. And they knew that, like, I was barely seeing my husband. And now I was going to have a baby. And I would like to spend a little bit more time with my family. So they offered a four-day work week. They offered me a promotion to executive producer. But I just felt like that lifestyle was not befitting for, like, a mother of a young child. It's like I had a baby because I want to see the baby. I don't want to be on set, you know, 22 hours a day. So I thought, like, what could I do that would allow me to spend more time with my new family? And over the course of the first year, I told you, my husband said, you know, the first day, what's for dinner? And I said, I don't know what you tell me. And slowly, slowly, I called friends and family and my mother-in-law and my stepmother-in-law and just begged them to teach me, like, how to cook for my husband because I felt like it was the right, nice little homemaker thing to do. And I took easy recipes and I messed them up over and over again. And then, you know, finally mastered the easiest and most simplest of recipes over the course of the first year. So when I was on maternity leave, my husband said, you know, why don't you write a cookbook? He just thought it was a cute little stay-at-home mommy kind of career. And he thought it was a cute story that, like, I really didn't even know how to burn toast. And now I was hosting his large family regularly and cooking for him and, like, kind of fallen into the role, like, in a really nice way. I said, you know what? That's so cute. My baby will sit next to me. She'll work on her tummy time, you know, put her, like, in a little play mat, and I'll just type away and write this book. And the beginning of the uh, the first title of the book was um, 
15 minute recipes from for the new bride. And so, and that was the idea. The idea was there are probably other accomplished people like me out there who are accomplished in their careers, who are successful, but who actually don't know the first thing about homemaking. And maybe these simple recipes would help them feel like they're contributing to their family and feeding their family without take, needing to have a lot of skill or a year and a day in the kitchen, you know, that wouldn't get in the way of their career or the other things they were doing. So that was the idea. So let me jump in because I, you said something interesting. When you said you're writing your first book, you didn't go to publishers, right? You just sat down and wrote a book. Right. So I sat down, I wrote I made a proposal because um, I started to look up, okay, how do you write a book, you know? Right. So I knew that I had to pitch it to a publisher. So I knew that a, a, with the pitch came a proposal. Mm-hmm. So you needed a title and a concept and a sample chapter and sample recipes. And I went to Staples and I felt like, okay, new bride. I love this. I printed it out on pink paper, you know, <laughs> bridal, like very cute. Like as it, I was, so careful to pick the font, like thinking like that is going to have any bearing on the end result. And then I just called up a few agents and, you know, basically a lot of people turned me down. They were like, oh, new bride, simple cookbook, ah, not so interesting. No major publisher is going to be interested. So I called up a smaller publisher and basically said, I'm a producer at HBO. I have an idea for a book. Will you meet me? I didn't even tell them it was a cookbook. Wow. Like I already knew when I pitched the exact idea, everyone kept turning me down. So I got a meeting because I was a producer at HBO with the idea for a book. That's amazing. And what's amazing about the story is that, and this is such a, a, a indicative piece of your journey, and the journey of so many others, which is everyone's waiting for permission, right? Everyone's waiting for permission. Like, can you please let me write a book, world? Can you please let me write a book, world? And everyone's waiting for like the the, the eureka of their head to go in someone else's head. And they don't realize that that's not really how it works in life. Like people have jobs and they're in their jobs for a reason. And just because you think something's great doesn't mean they think it's great. And you're never going to get permission. You got to ask for forgiveness in life, not permission. You got to just sort of keep on pushing. And, you know, any like that's a great moment that I think people that are listening can put it into their own lives, which is if you're seeing that everyone's turning you down, the normal way to respond is bad idea, honey. Like you should have went home and said, honey, remember the whole idea you gave me about the whole cookbook idea? Like, <laughs> okay, thanks for nothing, and now I got to go back to work. You didn't do that. You said, hey, wait a second. I can't hit the wall because the wall's got the brick, but what I could do is stop pitching the idea, leverage back something else that can get me in the room, and then go the other way. And many entrepreneurs I find that are successful all have similar type stories where their original moments that start their path, the world doesn't like because that's what makes them original the whole idea of originality is nobody else has them if everybody had the idea for a 15 minute cookbook of a new bride you wouldn't be able to write it and so that clash between i have an idea that's original and nobody else likes it is necessary but also it's blocking unless you can like you said think out of the box and do it anyways well i love how you think and i love how you talk charlie and i love how you took that idea and just like made it very clear for people because that's the idea if you wait for permission and wait for the world to think your idea is a good deal, idea, you'll still be waiting. So true. Instead, what we have to do is we have to change it around and we have to let them know <laughs> this is a good idea. <laughs> the world needs this. And I will say it five different ways from Sunday. Love and it. by the way, we're 10 years later and I have not stopped selling myself over and over and over again in how many languages and how many different ways I rephrased it and rewrote it and repackaged it. Because you have to convince people, you have to speak to them in their language at the right time and keep going. Right. That's great. And speak to people in their language at the right time and keep going. I think if you just take that and put that on your desk, 
I think that that's a tremendous speak to people in their language at their time and keep going. So you've got the book. Um, oh, sorry, you you got the 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 publisher to give you the book, the interview. and now you got to now yeah. sit down and write this first book. What was that like? It was like, I mean, I'm expecting my sixth child right now, okay? God bless you. And I know, thank God, you have a beautiful big family as well. You know that having children and raising children is no simple feat. Let me just tell you that writing a book, I find to be one of the hardest things that I've written three now, by the way, I have ever done in my life. Now, of course, I'm not done child rearing yet. I, I still reserve the right to say that that's going to be hard, but probably the most rewarding thing I will have done with my life. But in terms of difficult and so many things that you don't know unless you do it, unless you've written a book, are just surprise after the next, after the next. And just so you know, it's actually not even writing the book that's as hard as marketing it, promoting it, and selling mm-hmm. it. So I think that's something. People think they're going to write a book. You put it on the shelf. It's like a great idea, like we spoke about before, and it's going to sell itself. The world is going to know they want it, and they're going to find you. No, you have to find them. Let them know you exist and tell them they must take your book off that shelf or order an ebook version. So, so how does it work now? Because as you're saying, and I, there's a question in my, you know, it sounds as if like the writer of the book, right? The orig- especially the original writer and anyone who's out there that's thinking of or wanting to be able to be a content provider. It sounds like you have to do two things at the same time, right? It sounds like you got to have like half your body, mind, soul be like content, content, sit in my room right away, type all day or whatever. It is. And then half of you is like out on the street, shaking hands. How do you balance between, you know, sit in the corner and think brain and go out in the world and sell brain? Totally. Left brain, right brain, content creation and selling, marketing and branding almost simultaneously, if not even more so on the selling and marketing and branding. Because the idea for the book and the content of the book is only gets you so far, not even too far at all, unless you have the right sort of sales pitch, marketing and branding idea behind. What, what, if you can share with us, what, what, I mean, I'm sure one of the biggest parts about creating content, and this is something that I think probably happens to everybody, and I'm sure you've seen this in your life, is the idea of criticism, right? You, you have an idea, you have a proposal, you have a book, and now someone takes it and like forgets that you are, even though you're not the book or the product, you're, it's a part of who you are. How do you, have you ever came in contact with criticism and how do you make sure that it doesn't stop you and you could sort of make it constructive and not take it personally? No, I've never come in contact with criticism, Charlie. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, okay, next you know, question then. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, you know, the, I, it's so hard. Sometimes it fuels you. Sometimes it really does. And sometimes it just gets you down. It's so difficult. And I can't tell you how often myself and my support system, which is mainly my husband, are just like pulling me off the ledge. Because like, if you let every piece of criticism, like you take it to heart, it just, it will be the end of you. So some of it's constructive. Some of it makes you think and propels you to be better. Some of it's actually evil. Sometimes, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And you feel like it's personal and you're like, I don't even know this person. Like, why are they writing this on Amazon about my book? You know, I remember one person wrote, um, you know, whatever you do, I'm here to tell you not to waste your twenty nine ninety nine on this book. It will be the biggest waste of money in your life. I was like, what kind of person? How strongly do they have to feel about a cookbook to like let people know that it's like their mission in the world to make sure that they don't spend their twenty nine ninety nine on this particular book? So um, it's just it's like thick skin. It's belief in yourself. It's belief in your dream, in your product, and what you have to offer the world. And what you do 
has to be so much more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not just here to give people simple recipes to get them in and out of the kitchen. I'm here to enhance their life, inc- increase their relationship with their um, uh, family, inspire them to create something that's uh, healthy, inspire them to have special family time and bring their family in the kitchen, inspire them to create family memories by being confident that they can invite people around the table and entertain for the holidays. I'm here to make them, let them know that they have they can do all this and be the homemaker without spending all day in the kitchen. And they have time to dedicate to their relationships, to their to their work, to their communal activities. Think about you have to be so much bigger than just the service that you're providing. You have to love it and believe in it and do it with your heart. And therefore, any criticism won't help, won't hurt you. So that's as you're saying, and I'm jotting down notes because I think this is important because I think criticism is maybe the biggest killer of of ideas and people yeah. and people in general. Um, and I think that the ability to suffer to go through criticism is, is critical. So I'm hearing three ideas just to think, just to, to get your thoughts. One is to dismiss certain people. Um, very important, I think. Haters will be haters. They don't hate you, they hate themselves. And they need somebody else to go out and to beat up against because that'll allow them for two seconds to feel like um, they can project. Two is the support system. And and I think having somebody in your life that doesn't love you if, that loves you, period, is absolutely critical. I know people that are married, um, they, they speak very, very highly over having that person that they can turn to and go, what if this all goes away? Are you still going to love me? And that person's like, yeah, like stop. It's okay. Like it's fine. Like you don't have to be a superstar. And people, I know guys, I know young guys, especially, or guys that are, um, um, you know, they're just going, and and it's great. And, And they're always going back to their moms. I think moms, I think that's the, maybe the number one role of a mom out there. The number one role of a mom is we love you period. Like that's the game. (laughs) I remember like getting like, you know, I was like, you know, on the, on the way to, you know, school jail. And my mom's like, no, 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 wait, he's going to be the president. You know what I'm saying? Like you need that crazy (laughs) individual. That's just like insane about how much they support you. That you are the best. And my husband and mother fight, like who's my number one fan. So it's great to have you. You know what I'm saying? The mother's like, you are the best a hundred percent. Right. And, and, and the last bit is that, and then this is important and, and something that I think is really what's, I think, separates the the good from the great is is the mission right if your job in life and this is some something where it gets a little harder and i want to delve into this a little bit with you um but this is where you know if your job in life is to promote yourself it's going to be hard when you're not promoting yourself when people are criticizing yourself if the whole game is just self-aggrandizement it's harder to keep it going and and i think we've seen in celebrity past people that have done crazy things like given up their careers or their lives because if that's what it's about then once you get too much criticism or once you are too self-critical it's gone but if you have a mission that mission sort of takes you to the next level yeah totally 100 percent how do you balance? I know you're in a unique situation because you are um, not just the head of an organization. I mean, you are. You are the chief creative officer of KMN, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you really are Jamie Geller. And in a way, you know, you have like, as they say, like Jamie Geller as a, or you're, you're an entity. People speak about you, not about you personally, but about you as the personality. But you're also a person, and there's no real distinction, if you will, from the outside of the two different pieces, right? How do you balance between being the person and having to promote a, you know, a, a, a personality? You're, you're you're promoting yourself, and at the same time, 
be separate from it. Realize that you're not just Jamie Geller in lights. You're Jamie Geller, the mom. You're Jamie Geller, the person. How do you balance between um, moving the name and not becoming just the name? Oh, gosh. Hard questions. You didn't tell me it's going to be such a hard show, Charlie. <laughs> Listen, you know. <laughs> um, Our I, listeners deserve the best. Yes. Okay, <laughs> for sure. Okay, amazing. So I'm happy to be here and try to deliver that. So, I mean, first of all, I, I don't think, as the truth is, I never even thought about that. It's such an incredible question. I think you have to really separate your family life from your professional life, mm-hmm. right? It's the personal and the professional. And so making sure we have those times where it's like the phone is not around, the computer is not open, like none of these things matter. And you really have those meaningful relationships and that meaningful quality time with your family that like totally separates like I am like Jamie Keller, the mom, the wife, the uh, sister, like th- those times and those quality times and that that investment in those relationships that's what makes sure that you're grounded and that you still have that. And then, you know, when you're out there, I think a lot of times you have to, uh, you know, when you're promoting sort of the brand, you have to think about what the brand represents. And I don't think about it as me as much as I think about what are the values that people are connecting to? You know, why are they here? Because they feel like hopefully it's warm and it's friendly and it's a place that they feel like they can learn things without being judged. And they have a feeling like if you can do it, I can do it too. So really, it's not that it's Jamie Geller. It just happens that these are all the emotions and things that they're feeling, and that's why they're connecting. And so to make sure from a professional level that we deliver that when we deliver all the different kinds of content and services that we deliver, that we continue to deliver the, the heart and soul of the brand, which are those kinds of messages. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I think the only downside is that because Jamie Geller is the name, so sometimes I take some of the criticism really personally, right. like we were talking about before, and that's probably the hardest part. But otherwise, I don't see such a difficulty with the distinction of the personal and the professional and getting too wrapped up in the name versus, again, what are the core values and that we're delivering and why are people connected? Right. I think that's, that's a key point is to make sure that you're, you're focused on the values and not on yourself. I'll tell you a good story. A friend of mine who happens to be a, a personality in the business world. So he's on you know CNBC a lot and he's like a big shahansha. So he told me, I asked him this question once. He said to me, it's the take out the garbage moments. I said, what do you mean? He goes, <laughs> you know, I'm a big shot. He goes, you know, CNBC is out in Englewood. So if they want you to um, get on their show, they send you a car. He goes, I'll never forget. He goes, I was, you know, I got picked up on this fancy sort of big suburban i got drove down to the studio i'm on like street signs at, like you know i come home i pull into the car i come to the house my wife looks at me and goes hi honey can you take out the garbage and i was like what, what? <laughs> you, wait, wait wait i was just and then he's like the moment that you walk with that garbage bag in your hand around the back and you put it into that smelly garbage i realized at the end of the day i just am the guy who takes out the garbage like at the end that's and that sort of grounding is so like you said when you can start to balance see yourself in all these different environments and the grounding it keeps you grounded and in, in a way i think and, I, and I, i'd love to get your thoughts i think the people that are the most successful in terms of a personality are the people that can ground themselves in other areas their life is not just their careers and because when you can ground yourself then you could like you said you can deal with criticism a little better you can balance bounce back from failures. You could have ideas that get rejected 30 times and not give up. You could, you can see life past the brand. And so that allows you to interact with the brand even better. Right. Oh, a thousand percent. And first of all, I love that take out the garbage moment. Mine for me will be like changing my 100th diaper, like in the same day, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like what you're saying is so true. I feel like the fact that we are ground, like making an effort to ground ourselves makes my like me so much more relevant in my job 
Like if I wasn't really going through the throes of what it's like to run a house, to be a wife, to be a mother, how on earth would I have a site that's like so successful for homemakers if I can't relate to it? Right, you know what I'm right. saying? So I don't have a babysitter. I don't have an au pair. I don't have a nanny. My husband and I are raising the kids ourselves. Once a week, we're really lucky that we can pay for a cleaning lady. And we're so happy that she comes and cleans the toilets. And when she shows up, I hug her. And my husband's <laughs> like, I don't know if she wants you to hug her. I'm like, no, I think she does. She wants me to hug her. She loves me. I love her. And every Tuesday morning, I'm so happy when she shows up. And she leaves Tuesday afternoon and does kind of the heavy lifting. We don't have dishwashers. We wash our own dishes. You know, like, we really are living the life that all the people who are hopefully consuming, quote unquote, the brand are living. So it's so essential to ground yourself because otherwise, if you're not relatable and you can't relate, then how on earth would you be able to relate to all the people that you're trying to touch? So, so let me ask you this. Um, I, I, you know, you, the, one of the things that I'm seeing you say a lot of, which is really important, is, and, and as a woman, it's harder, I believe, than a man. Um, for whether, be, what, whether that's true or not. Yes, it is. All right, exactly. Just and I said again, it for the Charlie. record. I said it for the say record. It again, I, I, I see it. I see it much more difficult, even though maybe it's the, you know, I don't know, but it is. So, how do how do you balance? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, men, and maybe even more importantly, women that are saying, "Hey, you know, I I, I got to give up my career. I got to give up my my other life. I can't possibly have both." And what I'm hearing from your story, and is that you really are trying to do it the best way you can on both ends. You're not skimping in any which way. Not that anyone is skimping, but you're you're trying to push yourself to the max on every single area of both your family and, and your career. How do you balance it? That's the, the golden question, I think, is what do you do to make sure that um, you're balanced? I'm sure when you get on the plane or you, and you see the kids, you're going out of your mind. I'm sure when you're, you got to Skype with your kids at night. I'm sure when you're, who likes to leave? Who wants to feel like they're not in every second of every moment? And on the, on the flip side, I'm sure you're looking out and going, if I can just be on that more tour, if I can just push the book a little bit more, if I can just do one more, you know, I, I saw, I've seen your documentaries they're amazing if i can just do more like that if i can so it's these life is time and you've got two very full-time jobs so how do you balance it so i really important you said people feel like they can't have both you can have both but you can't have it all oh good distinction there look at that i love that (laughs) Write it down. Let's I'm, tweet I'm, that. I'm, dr- I'm writing as you know? you're speaking. It's, I'm writing it. <laughs> totally, you see me, totally. see me put my head down? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I hate the number one word. My, my husband says I shouldn't use the word hate. My mother says I shouldn't use the word hate. So I will change and say I extremely dislike when people say, oh, you're superwoman or this person is superwoman because you draw back the curtains on anyone's life and they are not. No matter what it seems like, no matter what it's said, no matter what, they are not. So that's just a really important distinction. I, I've made two things really important in life. One is my personal life, my family, my husband, and my kids. And one is my career. I sacrifice a lot. I sacrifice a lot in terms of friendships. I don't know. I would love to be like this fabulously in-fit like, exercise person who's like jogging five miles a day. You know, I sacrifice when it comes to taking care of myself in the best way that I could. I try to exercise a little bit. I'm not exercising as much. Things do suffer. Things do suffer. Um, but you have to make some really difficult choices. And like you said, I still cry. I cry every time I leave and I go on tour and I leave my kids. And my husband, like, just keeping to remind me, okay, we're doing it for this and we're doing it for that. And it's, it's helpful, you know, sort of big picture, big picture, big picture. I did an event yesterday for 3,000 people. And it was 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Wow. I'm eight and a half months pregnant, 
and it was in 100 degrees and there was no air conditioning. Oh my gosh. You know, so you put things in perspective. We think about the big picture. We think about the greater goals, and it makes getting through some of the harder times, a harder event or a harder book tour or a harder trip, you know, worth it, or at least puts it in perspective. Right. I think that, and, and I keep on hearing you go back into this one idea that I think is unique and I think needs to be really, really sort of honed in is mission, mission, mission. If you want to be successful, if you want to, having it all, I think, is a personal it's, it's a goal that is very much selfish i want to have it all i want all even the concept of it all means i it's like almost i can picture like some big king that wants to have it all so in very much i think and usually those people have nothing it, very way. good They're, exactly because <laughs> they don't have what's important and i think that yeah. what you're getting at here is really and, and to hear it from a media personality is really even better because I can see someone saying it's important to have it all and they're sitting in the corner somewhere and they're wonderful, but like they're not on TV. They're not writing books and it's almost like a justification and you're not sure if they're really doing it or they're just justifying it. But you're saying, and I think it's important to hear is that no, you, I can have more popularity. I can have more fame. I can have more, more money. I, but I have to make sure that I'm aligning myself with mission. Mission is it all. Mission is the golden standard. Yeah. And if you have the mission, then yeah, like you said, you're going to sacrifice things. You're going to have moments yeah. where you're like, I wish I can have it all. But yeah. I think and what, what I'm hearing you say and what I hope comes across loud and clear is I think the real it all is a life of mission and purpose. That's purpose. it all. And that's something that yeah, is hard and meaning, and meaning. Mm -hmm. exactly amazing. So let's let's go a little bit further here because I'm jumping along and we got to sort of jump through this in, in the interest of time. You have, and you have so many moments in your career, and so now I, take me to the place where you have you're now you're balancing properties, right? You're balancing your um, your magazine, you're balancing your books, you're balancing your website, um, and take me to a place if you can. I know that along the way you met a great individual named Henry Kaftal, and he is a, like a mentor of yours. So how do you balance the partnership with another mentor? How do you balance the media properties? How do you balance, if you can, interworking with mentors that can help you grow and different people underneath you that need your direction? Uh, well, first of all, it's worth it to go back to Henry just for a minute to not just say he's a great individual. He's an exceptional individual and has been an incredible mentor and guide in my life in so many ways. And it's just a real blessing to know him and for have him to come into my life both personally and professionally. And I think you learn a lot. Like the number one thing is learn, learn, and keep learning and learn more. And when you have the blessing of having people in your life like that that you can look up to in a professional and, an, and in a personal way and you see how they deal with certain situations, you see how they react to certain situations. I learned so much about negotiation and um, keeping the peace and bringing parties together. I've seen him make deals where everyone walks away thinking they got the best deal. It's like that is the perfect kind of negotiation you want to be in and that's how you want to start a partnership. And it's like, you know, not knowing anything, if I would have been really immature in business, you know, you see all the, you read the books and you've seen the movies and you want to go in there and you want to wow people and you want to like, you know, like take everything from them and feel like you really won and like make a difference. And instead, when you're going into strategic partnerships and strategic alignment, that can help get your business to the next stage. You want that partner to feel like, you're, like I said, you're each getting the best deal. So that's one thing that I learned from Henry as a mentor. And I think that that's a great way to start out a partnership and a relationship when you're looking to grow your business in different facets. And like 
you said balancing properties requires lots of strategic partnerships. We have one for the magazine and we have one for our digital space. We're actually entering into two for our digital space right now. Uh, one when it comes to publishing and the website and creating content and another one when it comes to the whole YouTube video aspect of our business and we have another strategic partnership when it comes to our live events. So, you know, these are things you have to find the right partners. You have to partner with the right people. You have to deal with them in the most respectful manner. You have to find people whose goals and missions align with yours, who understand the heart and soul of the brand, because you can't run everything and you can't balance everything. If you ever hope to grow and have multiple entities that represent the company and the brand, you need to have wonderful partnerships. Right. And I, I think that's an important point that you're bringing up and, and something that I think many entrepreneurs don't fully appreciate, that... If you want to grow exponentially, it's nearly impossible to do so without relationships. The, the whole like I'm sitting in a dorm room making some code for Facebook uh, is, is more, I think at this point, miraculous slash one in a million than the usual way totally. you grow. The, you can grow organically and every day just do what you're doing better. But if, you want, if you're in a business, especially if you're in a product-based business, the way you grow exponentially is how many relationships can I manage? How many relationships can I have? And how many relationships can I make sure everyone's basically feeling, like you said, like they got the better end of the deal? How important it is in your life to have a mentor? What, what, what value do you think that plays in your success? Um, it's, it's whatever is like, one of the most important things, excuse me for stuttering, just I like, couldn't find the words to say, like, without question and again like both personally and professionally it's not just about in the professional space if you are not a good person and you don't have your head on right and you don't have your morals and values set you never you're only going to get so far in the professional space as well so i always take guidance and i always ask questions and i always turn to those that know better than me when it comes to big decisions even small ones in both the personal and professional space so without question mentor mentors plural is essential to growth. Amazing. Um, are, are essential to growth. I, I, I think that, yeah. And, and most people, I don't, I don't think most people really fully appreciate the level of how important it is to have a mentor, someone that you can bounce things off, someone that you can talk to. Um, one or two, I know that your time is valuable. I want to ask you one or two more questions and I, I'm loving what you're saying. And, um, and at the end, I want to sort of make sure the audience knows how to find you. But this is a question that I, I, I sort of think about a lot um, when speaking to people. Was there ever a moment in your career where you've said, I'm out, where you had that moment where you were about to throw in the towel and you found something inside yourself that you didn't know existed. You know, in the in the entertainment space where you come from, you know that one of the most sort of, I would say maybe the most popular sort of genres, if you will, or the, the, the arcs of movies are where the hero, you know, starts to achieve success and then gets success and then gets success. And then there is like this moment where it all is going to fail. And that hero now has to say, okay, either I'm going to be a, enhanced version of myself or I'm not going to overcome the challenge. And I find that in business, especially with individuals that are in many ways pulling ships um, at the head, there's moments where they think to themselves, am I just insane? Like, this is so dumb. Why don't I just go back to my high, you know, powered career? And, and they have to find something inside them that they weren't fully cognizant that they had. So, 
and I know I'm putting you on the spot here without even giving you a chance to oh, think about yeah. it. Oh my gosh, so many questions like this, Charlie. What was the moment, <laughs> and if you can think of it, and what was the 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 character value that you you tapped into? Well, because life is not a movie, there's not just one moment. Very there good. were so many moments, right? <laughs> there are so many of them. You was know there a soundtrack saying? underneath you when the moment happened? Totally. Yeah, I can hear everything. I look, it's my background. Everything plays out like a movie in, in front of my screen. But yeah, there were so many moments, cheerful moments. Um, but I think, you know, we spoke a lot about mission. I think we're forgetting joy. Like joy, and that's like so essential to my brand also, obviously. So I think you have to like passionately love and live what you do. It has to bring you joy. If it brings you joy, those moments where, am I crazy? This is ridiculous. No one's going to like it. Oh my gosh, we just invested all this money in this particular vertical or this particular idea. And is anyone going to buy it or be interested or care or anything? It's like that having that belief and the joy in loving what you do, I don't feel like I could ever leave it. Even if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I have the energy, but then the joy of loving what I do so much would never let me abandon it. So I think that that sort of the fact that I love what I do so much, I think gets me through that. That's time where my energy is like really low. And I feel like I just don't have another ounce to give. Amazing. I love what you just said. And it's so true. And you're, you're so right on. Even if you, I didn't think you were going with joy. I thought you were going much more <laughs> where, intense than joy. Where was I going? I don't know. I, th- I was thinking mission, something more intense no, than joy. Joy. Yeah, you said mission. You're right. Yeah, the, <laughs> I love joy. You said it in the first scene already. Come That's on. True. Like, the <laughs> scene at the end where she finds the joy. Totally. That, by the way, and it's true. What you're saying is true. It's that, you know, as you're telling me over your story, I'm thinking to myself, like, how do you walk away from HBO? How do you walk away from 20 hour days with people handing you gum and 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 you're right it's it's and that and i think it's it, it echoes it's the handcuffs i think it's the handcuffs that the world sort of puts on people and and in life you know not to be too dramatic in life i think everyone has to choose if they're going to find joy out of life or they're going to wait until their joy comes when they're escaping life on the weekends or on vacations or after six o'clock or on lunch break. And it takes a real courageous individual to say, hey, I'm here for a purpose and a mission and a reason. I'm not going to give in on the things that I believe in. But unless I love what I do and love who I am, I'm just never going to be who I am. And even if I have to give up the money and the prestige and the power and the red carpet and the, the cameras for a life that gives my audience, if you will, something more meaningful. Um, and that's that really, I think, is it, it, I'm taking it to heart as I'm saying, and I'm, I'm sure people will as well. I have to say, but, Charlie, so, oh, can I just say, it's yeah, interesting how you were saying, like, I thought you were going to go so much deeper. Sometimes we're looking for, like, these deep answers, and people go, you know, on these retreats, like, in the four corners of the earth, and they meditate and don't speak, you know, they say a word for, like, four months until they figure out the meaning of life. It's, like, something so simple as being happy and loving yourself and loving what you do is, like, can be the solution. And I know, I'm sure you've heard of Tal Ben-Shachar, and, like, he was a professor at Harvard, and sure. happiness was the number one most popular course in Harvard, like while he was there, like, and it's just like in Harvard, like people are searching for happiness. Yeah. Like that's what it is. And if you love what you do, you could never, like you would never abandon your family. If you love what you do. You would never abandon your professional life either. How can you work 12, 14, 18 hours a day? If you don't love it. I love you're absolutely right and I think the I think there's such a great way to end the the because you're right it's back to the basics it's back to the simple what a great point which is yeah we can go deep and we can get and but at, 
and that's all true and good. But at the end of the day, you know, when net, 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 as they say in the business world, when it gets to the bottom line of that spreadsheet called your life, if you're not happy, if you don't like yourself, if you're not finding joy in the moments of life, then you're not fully living. And I think what a um, what a great way for you to have put the word joy on front in front of so much of what you do. And I am sure that. At the what you're trying to get across, and I'm sure everyone who has benefited from all the things that you do gets it, which is whatever you're doing in front of it should be that joy. That's the ticket in. How do I find more of your stuff? Where can I go to get more Jamie Geller and more joy? Okay, well, thanks for asking. <laughs> um, joyofkosher.com is the heart and soul of everything we do. And there you'll find my books. Uh, the book is called Joy of Kosher. The magazine is called uh, Joy of Kosher with Jamie Geller. We have a few documentary series called Joy of Aliyah or Joy of Israel. And um, and we're actually starting in the fall a line of premium courses where we're going to actually do in-depth how-to courses called Home by Jamie Geller with a Busy Homemaker. So that's Amazing. the idea, and everything can be found at joyofkosher.com. Amazing. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're so busy. And the joy you bring to your people that are able to access and the joy you bring, I hope, to more people that can get you is really inspiring. Continue doing the work that you're doing, and I only look forward to seeing it grow more and more in the future. Thank you, Charlie. Again, such an honor and a pleasure. And I know next time, hopefully, I'll be invited back. I'll be ready for the hard questions. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.